Well, it's hotter than a blister bug in a pepper patch. It sure is. Hotter than a billy goat with a blowtorch. 30 degrees here in Salford in the northwest of the UK. Welcome to Monday's Richie Allen Radio Show. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. Blister bug in a pepper patch, I have no idea. I got it on Tinternet. Let's do the program. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, this hour, I'll be joined by Niall McAvoy, live from Dundalk. Lovely bloke. Niall has played ice hockey for Ireland for 13 years and resigned on Friday from the team because the government, well, the Doyle, the, the Irish Parliament passed a bill that makes uh, it mandatory to have a vaccine passport in order to eat or drink indoors in the old country. He wrote a fantastic email to his coaches and to his teammates. Niall will be on the programme this hour. Later on then, we'll be off to uh, Dublin. Ben Gilroy, Irish activist, human rights activist and former politician, will be on the programme. Uh, He's been at Oris on Uchtaron. That's in Phoenix Park where the president lives. He's part of a campaign to get the Irish president, Michael D. Higgins, to strike down the very law that prompted the resignation of Niall McAvoy. That is Monday's Richie Allen Radio Show. There is none like it. You can tweet me during it. BBG Richie is my handle. You can email me through the website, richieallen.co.uk, if you want to do that. Yes, lovely, very warm. Very warm. Look after animals. Look after your animals. Got to do that in this heat if you've got dogs or cats. So today is allegedly Freedom Day. Do you feel free? Do you? Don't be afraid of your freedom. But you're not free. (laughs) You're not. You might think you're free, but you're not free at all. Do you feel free? I want want to read your tweets. Nothing has changed, has it really, in in the last few weeks? You feel like that? Do you feel free? Or are you one of them that's a bit worried and feels a bit like this? I don't want your freedom. I don't want to play around. Don't want your freedom. A lot of people saying they don't want the freedom. They want to keep the masks. They want to keep the face nappies. They want to keep as far away from people, their fellow man, as they possibly can. As they don't want to hug their grannies, lest their grannies catch something and drop down dead. There's a lot of that going on today. You can't go where you want. You can't travel where you want. You have to quarantine. Even if you've had two jabs and you bump into somebody who tested positive, you've still got to isolate. You've got to wear your masks on public transport. You've hardly been liberated, have you now, really? Really? Okay. There is some news on vaccinating youngsters. I'll bring that to you in a moment. In a moment. Good morning, Britain. Did a Vox Pop. Well, a very mini one. Or at least they edited it, edited it, edited it, they edited it down to three voices. Not much of a Vox Pop now when you only get three voices. Uh, The first and third people, 
women loving the masks. Young woman in the middle is fed up and wants to move on. I would be terrified. I probably wouldn't go on the train. I mean, we're lucky we got on this week while the masks are still compulsory. What's the point? <laughs> like, I don't know, but like at some point, we're just going to have to live our life. Do you know what I mean? That's inspirational. Yeah. Like, how, like, I don't want to wear a mask for the rest of my life. I've got to take care of you and you, and you have to take care of me. That's how we survive. Yeah, that was an old woman. I've got to take care of you and you. She was pointing at the crew for Good Morning Britain. And you've got to take care of me. That's how we survive. No, love, it isn't. You have no responsibility to me, nor do I have any responsibility to you. None. Except when I get behind the wheel of a car. Mostly. But the rest of the time, I owe you nothing. And you owe me nothing. That was a great Brass song. Remember that? Remember Brass? One of the greatest groups of all time. Matt and Luke. Remember? And Craig. I owe you nothing. That was brass with the red leather jackets. Yeah. So Ben Shepard and Susanna Reid then. Reid, Susanna Reid, who was the former foil, the former foil of Piers Morgan. She's all for this notion that your personal responsibility has to take other people into consideration. Of course, it's all down to our personal responsibility now. But that passenger on the train summed it up for me, the, the uh, older woman who said, look, I wear a mask to protect you, to protect you, you know, pointing to the crew and to the other passengers. Yeah. And I expect you all to wear the mask to protect her. So it's fine saying it's about personal responsibility, but actually other people are affected by your personal responsibility. No, no, other people are not affected by your personal responsibility unless you are ferrying them around in a bus and you happen to be driving it. Or if you're the pilot of a plane, or if you're driving a car, or cycling on a footpath. You don't have any responsibility for others, for the, well, for the, for the well-being of others when it comes to illness. None. It's madness. I've written about this on the website today. Check it out, richieallen.co.uk. You have none. That way lies tyranny, you understand. Okay? It's mental. It's mental. Right. That was uh, Susanna Reid there. Ben Shepherd on Good Morning Britain. Now, Callum Semple is a Liverpool University professor and a member of SAGE. He's a witch doctor, but I'm not going to play the jingle, don't worry. It's a big mistake to call it Freedom Day, he says. Um, here he is on BBC Breakfast. I give over. Hang on. Here he is, Callum Semple, on BBC Breakfast. I think calling it Freedom Day is a big risk. It's really got to be Responsibility Day. Responsibility Day. <laughs> I'd, I'd really like to see support for businesses and public transport and other sectors. If Callum Semple would have the government borrowing billions from the Bank of England and by issuing government-backed bonds to the private sector so that his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren will be paying it off. Guy's a madman. We should call it Responsibility Day and and let's just keep paying people not to work. Everything will be fine in the end. If they want to make it a condition of entry or condition of service that you wear a mask, they need to be supported to do that. Because... Otherwise, it's going to be a health and safety issue. Health and safety. It's a big mistake to call it Freedom Day. I'll tell you why it's a big mistake to call it Freedom Day. Because the restrictions are here and they are here to stay, right? Yes? Yes, we agree. Uh, The Speaker of the House of Commons, Lindsay Hoyle, wants masks to be worn on the estate for the rest of the week. 
I want you to wear your masks on the state for rest of the week. We've only got four days to holiday. Wear your masks. This is him today in the House of Commons. I wish to make a short statement. About short statement. Safely on the Watch you to wear your masks in Parliament for rest of the week. Mentor state and wearing of face coverings. With the increase in infection levels in the community and people having to isolate, I strongly advise that everyone on their state should wear face coverings when moving around, assessing catering venues and in the areas they consider crowded, including the chamber. We have four sitting days before the House rises. I really want us to behave safely, responsibly, during these few days. None of us wants to risk taking COVID back to our family, staff or constituents, and I'm sure we will want everyone working on their state to feel safe and safe. None of us wants to take COVID back to family or constituents. Don't take COVID back to your family. Yeah, that's the Speaker of the House, Lindsay Hoyle, there. They've only got four days before they break up for their summer holidays. Parliament. They get a lot of holidays, don't they? They do. Okie doke. Keep the masks, keep the distancing. But Professor Angus, or Angus, Angus Dalgleish, nothing to Kenny, uh, at least I don't think so, he's an infectious disease expert and he's an oncologist. I like him. Open up now, he says. The vulnerable can mitigate their own risks. God damn right too, Angus. But then the people who are at risk are all vaccinated. And the whole of this pandemic has been about getting the population vaccinated. And we are vaccinated now. And although the, the uh, usual gloomy figures from Neil Ferguson are being spewed out as usual, uh, always far, far in excess of anything that's ever been achieved. I mean, the bottom line is, is that hospitalisation and deaths have been contained by the vaccination. So we do have to get to, back to normal. And my uh, big strong uh, push on this is now is the right time and I actually agree with Boris on this now is the time to do it it's in the height of summer I mean it's uh, when would you want to do it in uh, in Christmas or winter or something no now's the time to do it when people are outside they're um, more healthy they're going to be in the sun their vitamin d is going to be stronger uh, even if they don't take it as a supplement etc they're going to be healthier they're going to be able to brush off serious infection much better we know that from all the acute respiratory diseases anyhow that that's the case so i do think now's the right time and now's not the time to to backtrack but it, it is obvious that you know people who are more at risk are going to have to be uh, more cautious about well, it Mm. People who are more at risk need to be a bit more cautious about it, said, uh, said, uh, said, uh, Professor Angus or Angus Dalgleish there. Okay. Tweet BBG Richie with your thoughts, please, or reach me through the website richieallen.co.uk. Now, in the, it was confirmed. We knew this. We talked about this on the website today. It's been confirmed in the last half an hour. The children over 12 who are at a perceived higher risk of becoming ill if they catch coronavirus will be offered a COVID jab. It means hundreds of thousands of children will be offered a jab, a dangerous experimental gene therapy drug which could kill them. And if it doesn't, it could do them, well, unimaginable damage in the coming years, the coming months and coming years, nobody knows. 
That's fact, not conjecture, right? Okay. According to the BBC, around about 400,000 children will be eligible following the announcement by, as I said, Vaccine Minister Nadim Zahawi. A lot of people will be very un- unhappy with this. A group called Us For Them, which campaigns for children's rights, I know they were doing the, the media they are allowed to appear on, which is basically just talk radio, uh, this morning, and they were saying it's a dreadful thing, it's terribly wrong to be asking children who are pretty much untouched by whatever COVID was, terrible to be asking them wrong, unethical, immoral, to be asking children to take a, a treatment on behalf of somebody else, because that is the the reason. The reason being given is it's to protect the wider community and to help with herd immunity. So that's been confirmed. And as I speak to you, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is giving one of these Downing Street briefings. I think he might be doing it from Checkers, I think, because he was pinged, wasn't he? After Sajid Javid, the health secretary, tested positive for covid Johnson was pinged, as was Rishi Sunak. That was a complete joke, right? They initially were not going to isolate because, well, they have a country to run. But then they caved due to media pressure and they've decided to isolate anyway. So Johnson is is speaking. If there's anything in that, I will bring it to you between now and the end of the programme. So there you are, not really much freedom going on. It's effectively, well, just carry on doing this stuff. We're, we're removing the legal the, the, the legal requirement to mask up and to, to distance, but we want you to do it anyway. And we're encouraging businesses to make sure that you do it. It's rubbish. There's an interesting piece by Jonathan Sumption in The Telegraph today. He's the former Supreme Court judge. I think he's a bit of an arse personally. And it's not down to the fact that he doesn't have the courage to come on this programme. It isn't. I think he's an arse because I don't think he has the courage to tell the truth. Sumption must now know that this is tyranny on steroids. This is not bad management. When will they get it through their thick skulls? Guys like him. You can only deduce that he must know that this is not bad governance. It's about something far deeper. You know, that's what I would say. Anywho, I wrote about that too as well, richieallen.co.uk. Now, this morning on Talk Radio, the Shadow Health Secretary, a guy called Jonathan Ashworth from, from the Labour Labour Party, he was on with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. And Brewer wanted to know when, if any time, would Labour remove these restrictions because the Labour Party is against the legal requirement being removed today, Freedom Day. You'll hear Brewer first, obviously. It has been six and a half months. I mean, I mean, what would be what would be the time frame for you unlocking? I don't know, a year, three years? What, no, 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 you, no, you'd want to unlock as quickly as possible, wouldn't you? Um, but, so but, when would you but, do but remember, that then? But, but we've got this Delta variant which mm-hmm. reached our shores because of the failures around our border policy. And it is and it is growing quickly and dramatically, and it is putting huge pressure on our National Health Service. Is it putting huge pressure on our National Health Service? Well, I think it is. If you've got hospitals... How many, hospital, how many hospital patients are there right now? Who's well, up with COVID? You, you've, had, you've had hospitals cancelling 
cancer operations not, hospital. Not, not because of not because of the number of covid patients because of the being pinged because of the pressures no because, because of self no because of self no because of a policy decision by the government uh, for self isolation for people who come into contact with somebody even if they've been double jabbed and they've had covid and and they've had a negative covid test no, you, you're, there's huge pressure on the National Health Service. And as their admissions increase for COVID, it impacts on their ability to do wider care because, it, because of the infection control measures that have to be in place how, in the you're hospital. You're the Shadow Health Secretary. How, how, many, how many patients are there currently in hospital Well, you've right got, you're what, what, running around 600 a day, aren't they? And it's been increasing. And, that, and mm. these, are big, these are big increases compared to where we were, uh, um, you know, sort of four, four or five weeks ago. And if you've got that number of patients in, mm-hmm. that does affect your ability to provide wider care because you've got to close have- other beds and you've got you've got to have infection you know you've got your beds have got to be distanced and you cannot provide the elective care and that's why you've got hospitals cancelling cancer that's, operations. That's not why they're cancelling. No, the hospitals that said they're cancelling operations, they're cancelling operations because they haven't got enough staff because they're being forced to self-isolate despite not having but that's, that, But that's a symptom of rising infection in society. That's a symptom of a policy. Yeah, it's a symptom of a policy. There isn't, um, there is, infections are not rising in society. Hundreds of thousands of people are getting tested every day, healthy people. There's nothing wrong with them. The test itself is completely, has been completely debunked. So it's throwing up thousands of false positives. Thousands. These goons are then giving that data to BBC, Sky and Channel 4. Those idiots are running it then every hour on the air on the daily news, on the news bulletins. The cases are rising, but they're not. And people are not going to hospital. And as Brewer pointed out quite correctly, if there's any issue in, a, in hospitals right now, it's the issue that, again, tens of thousands of healthy people are being pinged by this ludicrous test and trace app and are being told to go home. It's vaudeville. It's absolutely mind-bogglingly nuts. But there's no opposition to it. And Stockholm Syndrome is set in amongst the population. Look at them, out there. The country is sweltering in a heat wave. They're wearing them in their cars. They're wearing them on the streets. These goons. What do you do? What do you say to these cretins, you know? Nothing is probably the best thing. Don't say anything to them. Just don't. Over on Radio 5 Live, Carl, a brummy, got through to the Naga Munchetti show, yeah, to the Nagamunchetti show. God love Carl. He said it's time to stop asking the young to give up their lives. boy, Carl. I text him because I despair. It's how selfish my generation. I'm pushing 60 and the generation above me have become. I won't be asked enough of this generation now, a year and a half out of their lives. I was, like, the best years of my life were 18 to 23. And I wouldn't like to think I'd lost one and a half of those years just to sacrifice something that's not really going to affect me. What, what, you do, you mean, what do you mean your generation or people closer to your age are being selfish? Well, the, well, the mainly, mainly the vulnerable people now are going to be 60 and plus. And they're still the people that are found in insane. I don't feel safe. We've got to still keep wearing the masks. We're opening up too soon. Haven't we asked enough for this younger generation that give up the time. There are people turned 18. They haven't even been to a nightclub. They haven't been to Ibiza, Malia, Magluff with their friends. And we're asking a vast majority to give up their life. You only live once. When you when you 
75, 80, and you're on your deathbed. Nobody's going to come round and say, oh, by the way, how you one and a half years? You know, I'll go back to when you're 18. It's lost forever. Jumping up and down with your friends at, at a pop concert. What, where's that gone? The, the festivals and everything? We've robbed them of that. And I think now, they've sacrificed them for us. So how about we turn it round now? If you are vulnerable, you, you self-isolate and you actually do your own version of lockdown to keep yourself safe and release the younger people to actually have their life, which we've already experienced. Yes, absolutely. If you think that you're vulnerable because you have aplastic anemia or because you've got leukaemia, that's a terrible thing. Life is tough. You know, I did say this in my article today. When I said tough shit paddy, my tongue was in my cheek. Life is tough, you know. It throws lemons at you. And you either make lemonade or you hide in your house with a mask on your face, shivering and shaking at the thought of encountering other human beings. Now, if you want to live like that, you go and live like that. But I won't live like that, as best as I can anyway. I can't compel airlines to carry me. I can't compel restaurateurs to serve me. But I will not get on buses or trains and put a mask on my face because you feel that you're somehow vulnerable. I don't care. I really don't. Where were you and people like you when I was growing up and having my head kicked in by my father? Beaten to within an inch of my life. Where were you on the occasions in my life when I was in abject poverty and I hadn't a pot to piss in? Where were you then? Exactly, that's how it works. There are seven billion people on the planet. So look after yourself. I don't expect people to commit financial suicide and to commit self-harm because you feel vulnerable. Life throws you lemons. Not nice if you have cancer. Could be me someday. Allegedly one in two people will get cancer. It might be me. Touch wood, it won't be me or anyone I know. But for those who do, who have been blighted, their lives have been blighted by the big C, I genuinely sympathise and empathise. But I can't do any more. Wear a mask? No, absolutely not. Stay home? Indoors? Absolutely not. No chance. Piss off. Have a jab? Because you say that you can't have a jab? No chance. You have to be out of your tiny mind. But increasingly, it appears to me, anywhere it seems to me, me and you, we're alone. Because this is an idea whose time has come. They're embracing this madness, people. You know, this distancing and you've got people now walking around. Hayden Hewitt tweeted something today from the BBC. A guy has developed an armband for the vulnerable to wear. I kid you not. An armband. A guy's developed an armband for the vulnerable to wear so that the rest of us can look at the armband and keep our distance or put a mask on. These people are insane. It's 22 minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen's radio show live from Salford Monday's programme. It's the 19th of July, 2021. Niall McAvoy live from Dundalk in about four minutes' time. Don't go anywhere. Here's the Mavericks. That is the Mavericks, 2013. And back in your arms again. The time is 26 minutes past the hour. Monday's programme, Ben Gilroy, live from Dublin a bit later on in the show. I'm thrilled to meet my first guest, I really am. He sent me an email on Friday 
and um, it was a brilliant read. He's an ice hockey player who has represented his country for the past 13 years, which is a fantastic achievement. And he was a key member of the squad that silver medaled at the 2017 Development Cup in Andorra. Some people are a bit surprised that Ireland has an ice hockey team, but they're not bad at all, I tell you, having done a bit of research on them over uh, the weekend. Now, um, he emailed his teammates and his coaches uh, at the Irish national ice hockey team to tender his resignation. A very emotional email. I printed it in full on richieallen.co.uk. I recommend you check it out. And he basically said that he couldn't any longer represent a country that has approved of the discrimination and segregation of people. You know, the vaccinated people and the unvaccinated people. This is, of course, on foot of the of the Doyle, the Irish Parliament, passing that bill that makes uh, vaccine passports compulsory for people who wish to dine or drink indoors in the country. A dreadful thing. He said in his email, I will not accept or consent to a vaccine passport, digital passport, nor will I use a QR code track and trace system that allows this system to be implemented. This effectively allows for total government control over the citizens of Ireland and akins us to cattle. Delighted to welcome to the programme, um, Niall McAvoy. Hey, Niall, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, Rusty. Thanks for having me. You're a gent, mate. Thanks for reaching out first of, of all. And uh, it was lovely to see Newsweek website in America with millions of followers. Um Taking, picking up the story and, and, and running with it. So I, I would imagine you've been inundated over the weekend with people getting in touch. There's no doubt, I mean, it's it's probably a very obvious thing to say, but I'd say you wrote that with a very heavy heart. I mean, you've been involved with the national team for 13 years. You've made lots of friends, no doubt, internationally as much as nationally. There's a huge tournament coming up and I suppose you were looking forward to that. So I'd say it was with a heavy heart, Niall, was it, that you did it? Yeah, uh, very. <clears throat> no, I've, I've given all my free time to the sport. Um, I kind of tried to keep my mouth kind of quiet amongst my teammates and stuff, just to kind of get along to, to go along. Um, but then when I was at the protest in Dublin city centre on Wednesday night, you know, it really got me thinking. Like, like this is this is this is really happening. You know, like this is really, you know, a dystopian future. <laughs> Well, dystopian present time, I suppose. Yeah. And um, then on Thursday evening, I was, you know, I didn't really sleep. And I was awake at about four in the morning. Um, and then it was just playing on my heart. Like, I was like, I have to do this. I, like, nobody's listened to me for a year and a half. I've tried to speak logically to my friends, my teammates, everybody. I had to, I had to just try and make a statement that would get some, get their attention. You know, like my intention was never for it to go as viral as it did. It's it's quite it's kind of been insane how much how far it's gone. I seen it in Spain, I seen it in America, Canada. Um so I just wanted to get their attention to let them know like that you need to take this seriously, lads. You wanted to kind of shake them up now. Yeah, I think I don't think people understand the gravity of the situation. Whether you're for the vaccine or not, it's it's not the point. The point is that you're being manipulated and coerced into taking something you know nothing about. <laughs> you know, if only people would take the time just to, just to you know, start digging about it. It's all there. Like they don't hide it. There is no conspiracy. It's in it's in black and white. It's in their own paperwork. Now, I understand that some of your teammates 
well, the last time I think we swapped messages before today, I think, was was maybe Saturday or Sunday. So I understand some of the teammates have come back to you and responded to the email, which is brilliant. It's a brilliantly written, heartfelt email. It's so succinct and so cogent. It really is, Niall. I'm not just saying that. It's a brilliant email. You know, there, there's not an ounce of badness in it. It's, it's, it's honest. It's a guy speaking from the heart. And I understand that some of your teammates have come back and they've been nice about it. Yeah, like I haven't had a lot of responses from the team, but a good few guys, especially the guys that I'm a lot closer to than maybe other other guys, you know, they've let me know that we understand the my decision, they respect it for what I, for standing up for what I believe in, stuff like that. Um, so I'm glad that there's no bad terms. And, and the other day, what two of the guys were joking, saying, "Oh, they're going to drag me off to the to the vaccine centre and <laughs> get me shot off." <laughs> <laughs> and so, then you'll have to play in Germany then you'll have to play then in the tournament yeah yeah. I'll have no <laughs> fair enough yeah now what about the management because maybe you know look ma- ma- I've I've never played sport at your level but I played sport and I know managers can be grumpy if they feel in any way that they've been left down and they might think we have this tournament coming up now have any of them been in touch at all to, to respond well I'm by no means a superstar hockey player. I mean, I'm I'm the average guy in the team. You know, there's there's a couple of guys there that are pro level. You know, so I wouldn't be as big as a loss like to the team as those guys would. But again, like using, I had to use a small voice that I have, um, and I'm sure the coaches. You know, I haven't really heard back from the coaches, but I'm sure you know they're either trying to think about how to respond. Um, I know that they don't want to cross any lines they don't want to take sides in anything because you know we are trying to get like support and sponsorships and all sorts of things so in this day and age I can understand their position No fair enough so yeah and you might still yeah and it's only Monday isn't it I mean you, you, you emailed them on Friday um, before we talk about you going to um, going to the Dáil building on, on Wednesday with everybody else to, to protest what was happening and you, you spoke earlier about how it really brought it home to you that this is going on. How, what's it like to represent your country? Most of us will never understand it. How proud have you been to represent Ireland on the international stage? The, um, the first time I ever got the chance to represent Ireland when I was 17, it was the under-18s national team. And when the national anthem was played, you know, I cried. <laughs> Did I didn't think I would... Yeah. And then subsequently every year after that, you know, it was so emotional. You know, it's a roller coaster of emotions. It's you know, you're you could be angry if you're doing bad or you know, you could be uh teary eyed if you if you do good, you know, or do bad. Um there's no there's no explaining how proud you do feel and you know, you get special treatment from the host countries or whatever, you know, you're made feel like you're a national team member. Um all it's all it's all great. It's it's like I would never change any experience that I've had abroad with with the national team. It's all been brilliant. I've seen so much of the world. Even that, even if I was never you know there to be the superstar of the team, I was always part of the team. I was always made to feel a part of the team. And throughout the year or throughout the, the years, all of the guys have been just amazing. Like I've learned so much just from from my teammates. Um, I would yeah, wouldn't change a thing. Fantastic, Niall. What did you see in the last 15 months that led you to the protest on Wednesday? What has it been like for you? 
over the last, uh, I suppose, since this began in, in March of last year? Yeah, well, when this this kind of started, when they declared the pandemic, um, we were, the Irish team, myself, <clears throat> and my fiance, we were actually in Chicago on an exhibition tour. Um, so we went to Chicago in March uh, for St. Patrick's Week in March 2020. And when we got there, you know, there was the rumours talking of the government's going to shut down everything, the place is going to go or get all shut down and we won't be able to play. But so a lot of our games ended up getting cancelled. But the guys in America still wanted us to, we came the whole way to America <laughs> to play them. So we made arrangements with like rinks where it was close to the public, but we could still play the team. Stuff like that. We played the Chicago uh, Police Department and Chicago Fire Department, which are great games and they're great guys. And they took us out for beers on St. Patrick's Day. Um, unfortunately, everything was closed at the time because of the pandemic starting. Um, but we had like you know the traditional American pickup beers at the back of the pickup trucks. It's great. It was an amazing, amazing experience. Yeah. Um, we had to cut our trip a day short because they were Aer Lingus was threatening to cancel the flights. So they said, "Either you get on a day." earlier or you're going to have to stay in America. Is that right? <laughs> we figure out what's... Wow. Yeah, so we, we, all, we, cut our, we cut our whole trip a day short. So that was that was the start of it for us. Um, it never felt right. It was just a bit strange. You know, we, we were looking around us and it didn't see, seem like there was any, any sort of pandemic. You know, just less people on the streets. Um, then over the last 15 months, you start seeing reports of well, it started with those people in China, I suppose, falling down on the video, and it just looked very strange, and it didn't seem genuine, or, I don't know, I mean, I hope the people are okay, but it, <laughs> it didn't seem like it was, uh, I don't know, immediate, I yeah. suppose. Um, then throughout the year, I noticed, you know, these more and more restrictions and restrictions. Um, I haven't been able to train or, or play any sport still until this day, since that time in March. So I've been getting really frustrated with that. Like, why are outdoor pubs allowed to have drinkers and smokers, you know? And then why aren't we able to train, you know, yeah. the national team? So, like, just just contradictions like that really started to open my eyes to everything. Can you um, answer that, Niall? Because in the meantime, Gaelic Games started again, even though initially behind closed doors. What was the justification for allowing Gaelic Games and soccer and golf even to recommence, but 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 that your team, the national team, couldn't train. How did they justify that? We were in a, kind of an awkward situation because we're an indoor sport, and so most in, indoor sports weren't allowed to go ahead. But um, if you played for the national team, you were given an elite status permission to yeah. you know train and play with the national team, which is fine. And we got emailed those, and we were allowed to use them to travel uh you know between checkpoints <laughs> inter-county checkpoints which are ridiculous but um so but the problem was that the facilities that we train in are not our facilities so for roller hockey which we, we all play as well in ireland um the roller hockey rinks can't open because it's government policy indoor indoor sports and then same with uh, where we train in belfast in dundonald international ice bowl they closed um, as well and, and we couldn't train at all so being an elite athlete made no difference You just had to stop uh, just just basically come yeah. to a grinding halt and until today nothing and the team is heading to you know a very important tournament in in, in, in weeks really and it's not been able to to, to, to to train in the meantime 
No, we've been well since the North reopened. We've been going up to Belfast oh. every second week. It's the only it's the only ice time that they'll give us. So on a Saturday night, every second week, we were going to train in um, in Belfast. So we actually had to leave Ireland to train for Ireland. <laughs> Unbelievable, and and um, that's that's no good, is it? Once every two weeks, you, preparing for a big tournament, I would imagine you'd be you guys would be training four or five nights a week. Yeah, the the like the teams that we're going to be playing against, some of them. You know they never shut down, especially their sports. Their sports are always allowed to go because or go ahead because they're considered healthy, <laughs> yeah. which is what I consider sport as. <laughs> um, so like we're playing against, we're supposed to play against teams like uh, Colombia, um, Argentina, um, Macedonia, Portugal. Um, I think there's one or two or more that that, that were confirmed or not confirmed. I'm not too sure, so I won't, I won't say. It, but like, all these guys have been training extremely hard for the last year the development cup um it started off as kind of a small thing um where it was kind of teams who are outside of the main countries the officially ranked countries would get together and play a tournament and you know it'd be a serious tournament but also it would be you know there's there's no it was it was more just for it was for just as much fun as it was for the for the sport like so it got it got less experienced countries out around the world to to play the sport to be playing but, regularly, yeah. to be competing regularly. And the the question be, before we 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 move on and talk about um, Wednesday, and of course I made a stupid mistake, didn't I? Jean Anne corrected me. It wasn't at the Doyle; it was at the National Conference Centre, wasn't it? On the docks, the protest because. Uh, um, the, the politicians won't sit in the Doyle during COVID, apparently. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. But there's there's a lot, and I don't say this in any way disrespectfully, and I, and, and I hope you know that. There's a lovely cool runnings feel to the idea for me that not only do we have an ice hockey team in Ireland, but that you've done well. You've done very well in these, um, you know, international competitions for, you know, obviously you're not going to be playing Canada or, or the US or, or Russia, but but you've done well. Um, how did you get into it yourself? How did you end up playing ice hockey? Um, yeah, so when I was uh, around 16 years old, I was playing Gaelic football for the Loud Under 16s team. And so I was a big Gaelic player. So I loved the physical sort of stuff. And then Dundalk Ice Dome opened in, I think it was 2007 or eight. And I started going skating there, just public skating. Started watching a few hockey ma- uh, matches, and I said, you know, this this is what I want to do. Like, and I just dropped everything. I I was playing soccer, I was playing Gaelic, dropped it all, and started taking ice hockey as seriously as I could. And I spent every single day there. Um, yeah, even you know, Mitch off school sometimes to go down. <laughs> Did <laughs> you? Have to admit. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, had to be done. You know, my school is sad, and you're having a bad day. It's better than going and drinking or drugging on the streets, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it changed my life completely. I, I became obsessed by it. Um, then I made it on when I was like 17. I made it onto the under 18s team, the national team, and we travelled to Turkey where we came third place in the under 18s world championships, which was amazing. amazing. It was the best, best trip of my life. How did you manage that? Uh, I mean, what an achievement. How does a team from Ireland get third place in the world champion? It's a magnificent story, isn't it? Was there, I yeah, mean, that must have gotten media coverage. Did the Irish media cover that at the time? Yeah, at the time, yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, the, the seniors national team was also doing pretty good where we hosted the world championships in Dundalk, in the, the Division 3 world championships. Man. And Dundalk took the silver medal in that. And it was a huge boost for the sport. 
everybody then started getting involved in the sport. The numbers were growing massive. Like it really was starting to take off. There was guys talking about having a professional team and playing in the English league, stuff like that. Like it was taking off. And then all of a sudden, 2010, it got shut down. It was whatever problems they had with the management and, and money and stuff like that. It got shut down. We all thought it was going to be temporary. Um, and the year that it shut down, we had gone to Luxembourg uh, with the senior men's team. And we had won the Division 3, you know, got gold gold medal. We bet Greece, Luxembourg and UAE, I think. And we, that put us into Division 2, which is the level in Division 2 is serious compared to Division 3. And we played teams against in Division 2, like Croatia and, and Romania, guys who are nearly all professional players. So even getting that chance just to go to Division 2 and meet the professional KHL players, EHL players, Swedish players, it was it was amazing. Unbel- and how did you how did you get on? Did you hold your own against those teams? Um, no, <laughs> like it it's an entirely different, Can different imagine. Yeah. category of skill. Uh, I have to say, like you know, it sounds like it sounds like League One it, going go, League One going to play Premier League teams. You're you're good, but they're on another level entirely. Yeah, like yeah. That, for them, that's their life. You know, they that's they get paid life. to play hockey. They train every day of the week. They're paid. Yeah, they've got yeah, they've got. Our ice rink was closed, <laughs> and your ice rink was bloody closed. We've got yeah. Niall McAvoy on the line, uh, folks. Uh, this is really, really interesting and really important. Niall has represented Ireland for thirteen years internationally as a, an ice hockey player, and he's done bloody well too. As have uh, the teams he's been involved in. He resigned from the team on Friday because on Wednesday the Irish Parliament voted in this vaccine passport law, and it was the final straw for Niall. And since he did that, there's been a lot of interest globally in, in the story. Like I said, Newsweek have, have run the story. And obviously in America, hockey, is they call it hockey, is a, and I know you know that, is a, is a massive sport. So huge interest in him. And his email is brilliant. If you want to read it, go to the website. You'll find the story uh, there. And things were getting increasingly worse over the last 15 months, Niall. You didn't see any end to it. And stories, the story got more and more bizarre and nonsensical and the restrictions were getting worse and worse and I know you've got children is that a big concern for you I know it's a stupid question because I know there's only one answer to it but not being a parent myself you can explain what goes through mum and dad's mind when they know what's going on because you know there's something wrong with this story you know that we shouldn't be locked down we shouldn't be wrecking the economy we shouldn't be forcing people to take vaccines but what I always think when you've got youngsters as you do it's it's more difficult for you than it is for me who doesn't have any children how how big a factor are your children in you thinking about what you're doing and, and even in the resignation well I think the biggest impact probably is for our youngest son. He's two and a half. And the way I'm looking at it right now is that he spent over half of his life looking at people with no faces. And I think that's really disturbing. Like, I don't know what psychological damage that can do to him. Another issue is that with hospital waiting times and stuff, we've been actually waiting to get him seen to by a health nurse and then by an early assessment team. And it's been over a year. And we're still on a, a, what they call a six-month waiting list. So it's really frustrating, especially when you go to these places. I've been, I call into the, you know, the public nurse building, and it's empty. There was nobody there. And when I asked, could I, could I see the health nurse? They're like, no, you can't. It's, it's dangerous. Like, it's cool. I'm like, what? This is my son. Like, he's not an old person. He's not a, a vulnerable person. He's fine. Um. So we're still waiting to try and get help. Um. The older kids, 
it's been we have we've had to keep telling them you know oh don't mind that or or we try not to get too serious with them we don't want to scare them we don't want to tell them there's a big conspiracy happening we just kind of tell them no people are are acting strange it's not you it's them <laughs> because they can't seem to understand it like they're kids they think like kids they think in a, in a logical kind of way they're like why is that person doing that and i just reply i don't know <laughs> i can't this you is know. new this is new for this program you see that we don't think of that that's that's a lot of pressure on 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 a parent on 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 you and your wife that's a lot of pressure that because it's it's very wrong what's happening but you've got to be very careful how you how you speak to the to the youngsters what you say to them that's a delicate balancing act i suppose Niall. it is it's like trying to steer through a minefield because everywhere they go like if it's into the town or into a shop or even at their school you know there's people coming at them with with what it's what basically is propaganda now like and it's you know wear the mask sanitize your hands stay on the yellow dot like i think it's sick they shouldn't and our the school that our kids go to has been more relaxed they haven't at the start they kind of pushed it hard but they have been more relaxed uh towards the end of the year anyway or the start of 2021 and the kids are happy. They never talk. They never talk about COVID. They never talk about anything that's weird that's happening. So they're ha- they're enjoying school again, which is good. Because at the start, it was it was just you know why is my teacher wearing a mask and gloves and visors and they look silly and you know it's just I don't know it's it's not right for the, for the, what the kids are experiencing. No, and you you and your wife obviously would be worried that it would have some. Mid 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 term or or long term impact on on children because it's hard to get you know I won't say it's hard to get the, the, the truth out of children now again I'm not a parent but when I was younger when I was in my um, late teens and early twenties I used to be involved with Hibernian Football Club in Waterford and I used to take teams under 11s and under 12s and under 14s and that and um, I loved the company of kids that the kids are, children are brilliant and but you know it is sometimes very difficult to get the absolute truth out of them to get them to totally open up and I suppose you, you'd be worried about that yeah well we we tell them the truth you know if they ask a question like even if it's about what's going on in the world we'll tell them the truth we don't expect them to fully understand it or even to care for that matter but you know we'll always tell them the truth it just means that if they're ever have a, another interaction with somebody outside of the family you know they can even even amongst their own friends like their friends might say oh you need to do this and they'll say no 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 my mom and dad said it's fine you know, or stuff like that. Like, I think that's kind of the way we try to talk to each other who are like-minded in, in on Facebook or on Telegram and stuff like that. Kids do the same, you know. Yeah, yeah. And can I ask you this? Um, steer them the right path. They'll grow up with the right people. Steer them down the right path, which which you, you obviously feel, like any other parent, that's your job. So what, you don't have to answer this now. You don't have to, because, you know, you, you might not want to answer this. Um... What 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 would you be telling them uh, without going into too much detail? Would it be that that there's an overreaction to this? Is that how you're framing it for the for the kids? Yeah, I always try to keep them grounded in in reality. Like if if there's a day when they get worried about it, I'll I'll say to them like, "Well, have you been sick? Do you know, or do you get sick?" And they're like, "No." I'm like, "See, you're fine because you're healthy." <laughs> yeah. And we keep them healthy and to get their vitamins and the. You know, and they're eat, eating all right. Like they're going to have some snacks, you know. But and they both play sport, and and they have nothing to worry about at all. And we just try and reinforce that. Like this doesn't affect you. It only affects old people. It only affects vulnerable people, or whatever. That's that's all we tell them. 
So they're pretty much like, at this stage in the game, they're pretty much don't really care about it anymore, you know. But the sad thing is they're kind of used to seeing all the all the signs around, you know, yellow signs everywhere, masks, stuff like that. Yeah. People standing apart in queues. They're used to it, and I don't like that. So I try to keep it, keep them reminded that, you know, if they see someone outside in the thirty degree weather with a mask on, like they'll say, like, why is like that guy silly? You know, they yeah, say that. Good, me, good for them. You know, good for them. Now, um, um, they sorry, mate. Go ahead. You were going to say. No, no. I just saying I can't understand like that kind of uh, mentality is of being outside and, and hot weather with a mask. No. It just doesn't make sense. 29 here today. I understand in Dundalk, I understand in Dublin, in the West, it's scorching. And uh, I, I've seen tweets from Irish people today on Twitter, people I'm connected to, saying that they're absolutely aghast at people wearing the masks. I saw them wearing masks when I was out and about this morning. Uh, here. Niall McAvoy is our guest and Niall is a an Irish international ice hockey player 13 years played for Ireland, resigned from the team um, in, 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 on, on, a, on a matter of principle over the introduction of vaccine passports before we talk in a minute about about, um, about Wednesday uh, I, I just want to acknowledge uh, Dean Smith is a mate of mine, Dean's in Sheffield he runs a care home but uh, he also has the distinction, Niall, would you believe, he's the first British guy to play professional ice hockey in Ireland, would you believe? He played in Castle Ray many, many years ago and he loves the sport and he's got a funny question uh, for me to ask you. Uh, I'll ask you now for the crack and then we'll, we'll move on to talk more serious things. He says, Richie, delighted you have a fellow hockey player on. Ask um, he, he says, um, ask him if, if, if he got slashed or cross-checked did um did Niall dive or did he drop the gloves and go? <laughs> what did you do? Always drop the gloves. Always drop the gloves and go. Good man. Good man. Oh. It, it reminds me of that film. I have the most penalty minutes for the for the Irish team. That's, as far as I that's far nothing as to brag about now. That's nothing to, so you've the most penalty minutes for, for the Irish team. <laughs> <laughs> so you like a ding dong? Fair enough. I think Dean will be thrilled with with that answer. So Wednesday, you're you're down with everybody else there. There's a massive turnout there, and um, you said to me earlier it brought it home to you just how bloody serious um, this is. What do you think? Is is there any stopping it? You're not going to be talking to Ben Gilroy a bit later on in the program. Is there is there any reverse gear here, Niall? Do you think? Um, if there is, it'll want to happen pretty fast. Um, Wednesday night was probably the best atmosphere I've ever experienced in my life. Um, and I've been to huge music festivals. I've been to big, you know, I've played in front of thousands of people, stuff like that. But Wednesday night was different because everybody was focused on the same thing. Nobody cared about who you were, where you came from, nothing. Everybody just wants to be free. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of... Uh, Sneaky stuff going on with the government changing the times around of the vote. So they were trying to like split the crowd or something. Um, I got home from work at half five and I told my fiance that, you know, I'm going to Dublin tonight at about quarter to ten or whatever. And she was like, oh, yeah, no problem. And then at half seven, you know, they made a call that they were going to vote early. And then I was like, right, we have to go. We have to. <laughs> and it was just it was chaos. Like, but we got there and, you know, we. When we got there, myself and my friend, we expected, you know, people just kind of to be standing around, you know, hanging around. But we, as soon as we got there, there was horns, there was cheering, there was music, there was people on speakers, everybody was waving flags. And um, we happened to take a wrong turn onto the street and we ended up driving through the crowd. But we had a little Irish flag in our car and everybody like 
just parted ways and said, he's one of us, let him through, let him. It was just amazing. It was amazing. And so we stayed there until about half one in the morning. I had to, had to pack it in then, had to go home for working the next day. But like, you could tell, I don't know, I think because at one point in the protest, we were all chanting towards the convention centre. And it was at the time when the politicians were coming down the escalators and, and front and it was glass windows so we could see them. So everybody started chanting and, and to hear, you know, over 5,000 people chanting the same thing and pointing at these politicians, it felt like there's there's definitely a chance. There's absolutely a chance. If we can just keep this going, we have an opportunity to change public uh, perception and opinion because more people are definitely waking up and it's great to see. Like um, I, I expected to get a lot more abuse from my letter than I have got. I've had more support and abuse and that's been amazing. I never expected. I thought that, especially in Ireland, I, expect, I thought there's more sleep people. But it seems people are just more maybe afraid to speak up or stand up in case of a bad backlash. But And I, and that, I had that fear too, but it was eating me inside. I had to, I had to say something. Um, but I just want to encourage any other sports, any people who are really like actually famous, like sports stars, like if they are listening to this, that they should speak out now like do it now because we're like time is running out there is no going back once it gets you know fully implemented at this digital system and vaccine passports blah 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 like we all know the crack yeah it's we, now or never we know where do it's it. going yeah it's we, now or never so. niall mcavoy is our guest and um huge interest in this on on twitter i don't know if you're on twitter i looked for you on twitter i couldn't find you but if you are on there you'll see a huge interest in it not just today but in since i posted the article on Friday um, and that was down to you sending me the email and saying that, you know, I could I could share it. Uh, there's been huge interest in it. And, and like you, I hope that people that are well known who have children, they, they must be concerned about this and they must now understand that something is very wrong. And, you know, don't hold your tongue. Don't be worried about your own position. You really need to use that platform. If you feel like, uh, you know, Niall McAvoy, if you feel like Niall McAvoy and, and you know, there are People listening to this who are well known, I'm sure of it. If you if you feel like Niall, you've got to speak out. You've got to. Um, look, they passed it anyway. I, yeah. I I agree with you. By the way, I think it's not so much that people are asleep. It's it's the, it's the worry about the, the blowback. If you kind of put your head above the parapet, I I absolutely agree with you. I want to believe that, but I also think you know evidence is emerging that as time goes on, more and more people are saying, Christ, what's happening? This this is absolutely unnatural. Why are we still uh, doing this? I'll tell you something else now, before I forget to say it. It feels to me, on the outside looking in, looking back, looking back home from England, it feels that Ireland has been as bad as any country in the world. It feels like proper tyranny there for the last 15 months. What do you think? Yeah, it's, especially when you're told you couldn't travel you know, more than two kilometers. There was a fear that if you were just in your car at any given moment, a guard could just pull you over and find you or arrest you. Like that, that was a real psychological uh, thing on people here. Um, I even like my parents like refused to visit me or let me vi- visit them because they're like, no, 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 we're further than two kilometers. Like if you get caught now, that's it, and you have a family to provide for. Like it, it was like people really are afraid of the government here. <laughs> I don't understand why. Do you know? Your parents were saying, listen, don't come and visit now because it's outside the two kilometres and you yeah. might get into trouble. I mean, gee, and I'm not, I'm not knocking your parents. I yeah, mean, no. they were like that here. 
Wow. Yeah, it's 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 just if if you step out of line, there's almost like an invisible there's an invisible um how would you say it? I don't know, like a veil over people's eyes. Yeah. And if you step outside the veil, that you're bold. You know, I think this is the mentality of people here: is that if you do something wrong, oh, we know it's all rubbish. That's what they say. We know it's this, we know it's that, but we just have to, you know, follow everything and we'll all get out of it then. And and, and I'm like, no, that's not how it works, guys. You know, you got to just, non-compliance is the only way that we can do it. And the more and more people that do non-compliance, the better it'll be for everybody. Even the people that are super obsessed with COVID and, and illnesses and stuff like that, like even they will then see if, well, if nobody else is following the rules, they'll feel the social pressure that, people like us have felt for the last year and a half about masks and stuff, they'll feel the, the opposite social pressure. It's the only way that we can change things. And I just noticed there, I think it was an hour ago, like Macron in France, he's reversed his uh, his vaccine passport bill after the riots in France. I mean, if that doesn't speak to, like a million words to people listening today, like that peaceful revolution can happen, you know. They can't. They will reverse what they what they've done. Now I didn't see that as you're speaking. I'm I'm bringing it up here. Um, he's uh, he's held back on plans to insist that people have passports before they go to restaurants. Is that right? See, yeah, that's. I think I was reading the BBC or something like that. It was posted in in a Telegram group there this afternoon. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Like governments can only get away with what we let them. Um, they're supposed to work for us. They clearly don't work for us. They're clearly working in lockstep with each other globally. Um, some people might call it the New World Order. Um, but it's very obvious. I mean, I mean, they're not hiding. You're right. It is obvious because they do the exact same things and they implement these things pretty much at the same time. You're right. They're not working as individual governments, doing yeah. things as they see fit. They are doing them, as you said, in lockstep. You're absolutely 100% right. Nobody could dispute that. And, you know, people need to wise up to that and ask why and, and who does this benefit in the end? Niall, these are, these are fair questions, you know, but, but our media, you know, I, I talked earlier about the, the tyranny being a bit worse in Ireland and, and maybe I'm wrong, but the one thing I'm certain of is that the Irish media is a disgrace. The absolutely. national and local media is a disgrace, isn't it? Yeah, well... It's public. It's public knowledge um, that all of the media in Ireland have received money from the government, to, you know, for COVID advertisements and and this kind of crack. And so we know that they want the money. I mean, they're greedy. They obviously don't serve the people. They don't want the people to know the real truth. They're just like, oh, there's a big income. Let's make. Let's take advantage of it. And I find that a lot of Ireland is like that. You know, whether it's businesses or sports teams or organisations, it's like, oh well, the government's going to give us money, so we can't actually go against what the yeah, government says yeah. they don't give us the money. And I find that a lot. You know, especially when I'm speaking to sports teams and stuff like that. That you know, not my hockey teams, but other sports clubs and, and guys that I know. It's like, yeah, like we all know it's rubbish, but you know, they're giving us grants. And so what's happening is like that everything, everyone in Ireland and every company in Ireland is it's nearly in some way relied, relied, relying on the government. Do you know what it is? It's, what? it's, it's embedding, isn't it? It's, it's what the military did with journalists when, when, yeah. when the Iraq war, you know, they brought the journalists along for the ride so that the journalists were embedded and, and reliant upon the military and wouldn't write so many 
bad stories about what was going on. You're absolutely spot on, Niall. That's very shrewd. You're right. They gave, the government gave advertising books to everybody, grants to everybody. Very difficult then to turn around and bite the hand that feeds you. That was um, a very shrewd move, that. No doubt about that. You're absolutely spot on. And you could understand how to even, even if some media companies didn't want to accept it, they all like their advertisement. Sorry, there are advertisers that would have advertised with those media. You know, they would have already cut back on advertising because business was was after getting shut down and they couldn't afford to have the budget for advertising. So, like, you can understand how they manipulated people into taking money, whether they liked it or not. <laughs> they yeah. needed it, and they basically the Irish government of I don't know whose money they're they're using to pay everyone like i really don't work 250 billion in debt or something like i mean i don't know whose money they're using but european central bank isn't it the person in ireland one way or another well whatever's left in the country of any value they'll sell they've already sold the forestries they've sold the rivers they'll sell everything ultimately they'll, they'll they'll do it here as well now just before um we run out of time i'm going to give you the final word obviously but I want to uh, remind our listeners, you've been listening to Niall McAvoy. Niall's in Dundalk and he's resigned from the Irish international ice hockey team. He's uh, played for the country for over 13 years, very successfully as well, at times over the years. And uh, great story that it really is. But Niall's been talking about why, what, what led him up to resigning and his concerns about how COVID has been handled and what it means for, for civil liberties and what, you know, what it means for his own children. Um, looking ahead as well. So brilliant to have him on. Um, what about staying in the game somehow yourself? I mean, with your experience now, and you're, you're, you're obviously a very young man still, you'd be it, you'd be a big loss to the game, wouldn't you? I mean, as a coach, um, would, would, would you like to stay in the game with working with children, do you think? Yeah, um, well, I'm still going to play at my club level. Uh, I still play for the dock and ice hockey as well. Um, I hope to, to, you know, to get up to trainings maybe with other teams and and stuff like that, just to keep keep it going. Um, but I don't I don't plan on giving up. I just can't represent a country that supports this absolute fascism and, and medical apartheid. It's it's absolutely insanity. Um, I can't just put the blinkers on like most people have done and just say la 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 la. You know that's how it is. You know, I I just can't do it. Um, but I want to just say that. Like I, I've, people are asking, do I have social media and stuff? And my answer is no. I don't use social media at all. It's a, to me, social media is probably a more deadly virus. Than <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, yeah. It used to make me very depressed and angry when I looked at social media. Where you know, not just because I was disagreeing with people or people were disagreeing with me, but it's a talk. It's so toxic. Like my life has never been better since I got rid of it. Those, like I don't expect little red notifications to pop up anymore, and I think social media is a real problem in the world at the minute, especially you, the main the main ones. Do you keep but, um, Do you keep the youngsters away from it? Oh yeah, absolutely. They're not allowed on it. They get limited time on YouTube to watch stuff in relation to maybe their sports and and whatever else. But social media is a no. Well done. But can I just um, I just want to say like because I I haven't been on social media for quite some time and. A friend of mine mentioned to me that you know there was an app called Telegram, and there was a group called Ireland on Lockdown, and he suggested that that's where you know all the Irish uh, kind of patriot people and free thinkers and freedom lovers all go together, and there's lots of you know doctors, scientists, everybody in that group, all Irish kind of are living on the island of Ireland, whatever, 
And I went to that, I signed up and I, I went into that group. And ever since I've been in that group, I felt like I'm not alone. You know, it's been a lonely year and a half for many people. And when I joined that group, I got talking to people within the group. I've got support. You can ask the stupid questions, you know, that you can't ask somebody else. You know, you can ask the ones that might be obvious or not obvious. And people will give you the answer and they'll research it and they'll show you where to, where to go. And it's such an amazing community. And that's how I ended up going to that protest was because of that group. And also the inspiration for, for writing that email came from Ben Gilroy's speech at the protest. So, like, it's all it all works together. It's all a giant web. It's all a giant movement. Everybody can do their part. You know, some people might have to sacrifice more than the others. But in the end, like, they're coming for our children. And that's the end of it. Like, this is where we take a stand. They've crossed the line. They've made us second-class citizens. And I won't be taking it. I'm not going to follow that. I'm just going to ask you to um, repeat the name of the Telegram group, please. Yeah, it's Ireland on Lockdown. Ireland on Lockdown on Telegram. Niall, it was yeah. lovely to meet you. Uh, thanks for for giving us a shout on Friday and sending sending on the email. It, it, it has meant a lot to a lot of people. It meant a lot to me to read it. And I know it meant a lot to, 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 to people on social media. Through the website alone, uh, and I can prove this, it's been read on the website alone over 100,000 times now, which is remarkable. I don't think I've put anything on the website that had more than um, 100,000 views previously. Um, so that's meant a lot to a lot of people. So look, thanks for doing it. I wish you all the very best and I hope that you'll stay in touch and that it won't be the last time that we hear from you on the programme because it's um, it's been educational, mate. Thanks so much for coming on today. Brilliant. Thanks for sharing the word, Rishi. Appreciate it. Not at all, Niall. Thanks, Niall. That's Niall McAvoy, Irish, uh, hockey, Irish Ice Hockey International, live from Dundalk. If you haven't read his resignation email, do go to the website and read it. It's a brilliantly written, thought-provoking, heartfelt and emotional email um, by a great Irishman. So fair play to him. Thanks to Niall McAvoy there. It's uh, coming up for eight minutes past six o'clock. You're with the Richie Allen radio show live from a sweltering Salford in the northwest of the UK. Thank you for your company. The 19th Freedom Day. Freedom. I won't let you down. Freedom. Yeah. Freedom, me arse. I don't know what was going on at Downing Street. I was chatting with Niall, but I can't check the the wires. I have access to various audio banks. If there's anything interesting, if anything interesting was said that we might need to discuss, I'll get on to it shortly. Uh, ben Gilroy should be with me in a few minutes' time. I'm kind of winging it a little bit. I spoke with Ben earlier on, and he had a few things on, and he was going to rush back for about 10 minutes past six. He might be a few minutes late. That's no problem. That, that'll be my fault, not his, because I said, look, let's try and do it. Anyway, in the meantime, here's a tune from Kim Wilde. This is Kids in America. Great, great tune, this. Marty Wilde's daughter, Jean Ann. Yes, Marty Wilde's daughter. That's the one. Back in a few minutes. Yeah, Kids in America, 12 minutes past six. I always time check. It's important to time check. I had to let somebody know yesterday there is a reason why more often than not I will say something like 20 minutes to the top of the hour. Somebody criticised me during Sunday morning melodies and I can't take being criticised. I've got very thin skin. Somebody said, you sound like Sky News, give over or something like that. There's a good reason. We say to the top of the hour or past the hour because when you're as famous as me, 
<laughs> I don't get recognised in my own street, by the way. No, but the programme is picked up in different time zones. It actually is picked up in 109 countries around the world. Places as far away as Suriname. Honestly. So the time zones are different, right? Now, you might be a smarty McPants. You might be a smarty McPants and you might say, well, well, Baldy, what if it's in India then? Because India is four and a half hours ahead of the UK. It's not, it's not five hours or seven hours. Well, look, smarty McPants, we say past the hour for the time zones. That's the reason. You may tweet me, BBG Richie. You can send me a message through the website, richieallen.co.uk. Did Boris Johnson say anything? That would be of any interest to you and me. He might have done. He might have done. Let's go into the audio bank. Let's go into audio bank and see what he had to say. He's been speaking to a briefing with journalists, but he hasn't done it from Downing Street. He's in isolation because he happened to bump into Sajid Javid, who tested positive for COVID. Johnson has been speaking to the media about whether or not the roadmap out of lockdown can, in fact, be reversed. Now, Johnson said that it would be irreversible, remember? Let's hear what he had to say. Here's the straw-haired goon himself. I, I want to repeat, really, what I said last week, and I think perhaps the week before about this. The, the roadmap is, we hope, irreversible. I think I said that from the, from the get-go. Uh, but we can't guarantee that. Something could obviously happen that changes our, our calculations. And we, we've, we've got to be humble in the face of, of nature. Uh, there could be some new uh, mutant, some new, some new variant of the virus that uh, we have to respond to in a, in a particular way. And I've, I've always been very clear about that. Uh, the only way we can make the roadmap irreversible, Dan, is by continuing uh, to be cautious. And that, I'm afraid, is why uh, we've got to continue with the measures that we are, uh, continue with the, uh, the, the, the routines that we have for test trace and isolate, but above all, why we've got to continue to focus uh, as uh, as JBT and Patrick have said on that vaccination campaign and get your jab. Mm, get your jab. Want a job? Get a jab. Yeah, that was Johnson speaking a short time ago from from Checkers, I believe. And uh, yeah, he talked about isolating and how even if you've had two jabs, you still need to go into isolation if you bumped into somebody who tested positive for COVID. This is positively vaudevillian. Isn't it? It is. Listen, I've got to take another tune because I've got to phone off air. I've got to phone Ben Gilroy, who's in central Dublin, I think. We might not get him on today. If that's the case, well, we'll just have to grin and bear it and get him on tomorrow. I'm easy. I'm very easy going, me. Because I'm the BBG. There's nobody like me. I think we do have Ben. We're going to go to uh, the old phone and have a chat with him now. A terrific guy, Ben Gilroy. I don't need to tell you too much about him. He's an old friend of mine. He's been coming on my programmes, uh, radio and television, for, for many years. He, he's worn many hats over the years and uh, honestly worn many hats. An honest man. He's been a, a politician. He's a human rights activist. Um, fantastic advocate for people who were losing their homes to vulture funds and and all of that stuff that we've covered so much over the years. It's lovely to welcome him back to the programme. Live from Dublin, it's uh, Ben Gilroy. Ben, thanks for taking the time today, my friend. How are you? No bother, Richie. How are you? I'm delighted. And your ears might have been burning 15 minutes ago because Niall McAvoy, who's played ice hockey for Ireland for 13 years, Niall was on the programme and he said he was inspired 
by you, by a speech you gave last Wednesday night at that protest to to Tendery's resignation from the Irish ice hockey team, something that was bothering him for some time anyway, because he said he couldn't represent the jersey, represent the country, when the country was lurching so far down down the tyranny road. So very much inspired by you he was. So that's that's a nice thing. Well, first of all, I didn't know that. And I actually was moved by his letter of resignation that he made public. And I had no idea I had anything to do with that. So um, I'm really, uh, well, I'm just overwhelmed by that, (laughs) to be honest. I I didn't know anything about that, to be honest. So, uh, but I just have to commend him for the stand he took. And, you know, we're asking restaurateurs and everybody else in this country to make a much lesser sacrifice than he did. You know, that's his whole career that he put on the line there. And we're asking just restaurateurs just not to introduce this fascism, not to segregate people, not to have a second tier society in here and not to discriminate against people in this country. It's not much to ask for. It's something Ireland was always proud of in its anti-discrimination laws that we don't discriminate in this country and I have to say, uh, I'm astounded by what that gentleman did. And to think that I had some effect on that, I, it's overwhelming me, you know. Yeah, no, it, it did. He was very clear about it. He was at the National Conference Centre on uh, on Wednesday. And uh, yeah, he, he, he's been, like everybody else, he's been affected by it. He has children. He's seen what's gone on. And he decided to take a stand. And as you said, he wrote an absolutely brilliant email. Have you been? Yeah. Have you been? Um, you, I know you were going to Oris on Uchtaron this afternoon. Am I right in saying that? Did you go down there? We, I, I was going to go there. We did another protest there on uh, the following Thursday. Uh, and again, like to get Irish people to come out at all is an amazing thing. But to get them coming out twice in two evenings is something special. And not only that, Richie, you've got to remember when I called people into the uh, convention centre. I did that about 10 o'clock at night. It was just something just said to me. Um, in fact, it was my wife. <laughs> but she just was said it? to me, would you not call people to come? Because I was just going to do one of my usual videos saying, look at what these guys in here are doing. You know, they're pulling the strings of the world global elite to the detriment of the Irish people. And that was the video I had intended to do. And my wife said to me, because we did hear that the, um, the thing was going to take place, the vote was going to take place at around midnight. So we did um, We did say, you know, I'll go in there at 11 and do the video. But my wife said to me, do you not think you should ask for people to come? And I basically said, but sure, who will come to Dublin at 11 o'clock at night? And she said, well, sure, surely 10 people will show up. At least you have 10 people standing beside you. So I said, right, fair enough. So I put out a call, you know, about 10 o'clock at night as well. And I said, look, I'm going in there at uh, 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock tomorrow night. If anybody wants to come. Well, the support and the amount, you know, when you just hit a nerve with the Irish people and uh, and thousands, uh, you know, I had a feeling that uh, like hundreds at least were going to show up because of the uh, remarks. And I couldn't believe when I got in um, because I was slightly late as usual because my life was just like that. And when I arrived, I brought a thousand whistles and I thought to myself, well, if I get rid of 300 of these tonight, it'll be fantastic. And before I'd crossed the bridge over to the convention centre, the thousand whistles were gone. And it was one of the most amazing turnouts that I've ever seen for something to be organised, you know, on a whim, if you like. 
and to organise a, 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 an assembly for 11 o'clock at night in Dublin was astounding. Brilliant and not only that, it was an absolute party atmosphere. No trouble whatsoever. And people just standing in unity, basically saying, sign what you want. We're not going to comply with any of your bullshit. Fantastic. And it was fantastic from that point of view. That's what Niall McAvoy said. He said the atmosphere is incredible. He actually said he never felt an atmosphere like it. And he's played in big venues uh, for Ireland in Europe where, you know, partisan crowds and great, great, great buzz. But he said he never experienced anything like that. Ben Gilroy is our guest. So is there a line in the sand? And might this be the line in the sand for people? Is, is this the stick now that might be... Is this, go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I, I, I think it is a line drawn in the sand. I think... That there was always the, the thing in Ireland that if you want to get vaccinated, Richie, that's your choice. Yeah. You go ahead and get vaccinated. And if I don't, that's my choice. And everybody accepted that in Ireland. Nobody pressured or bullied anybody, you know, uh, if they wanted to get vaccine and vice versa. However, I am, I am hearing stories now of people in the workplace getting pressurised and bullied into getting vaccinated. And that's a criminal offence. But in any event, that was always the position in Ireland, that people had their own choice and they do what they want and there was no issue. But once people see that people are going to be punished, segregated, discriminated against simply because they refuse to take an injection, right? An injection yeah. in their arm, then I think that was the final straw. Because even vaccinated people are going, well, hold on a minute now. I did it because I want to go on holidays. I mean, yeah, but if yeah. these people don't want to do it, I going to stand with them because they didn't block me from getting one. I'm not going to block them from not getting one. And I think it was it was the start of it. As well as that, Richie, we, we got to remember, when does this shit stop? When will it stop? And as I said before, you know, night follows day, winter follows summer. And when the winter comes, there's always going to be a new virus, a new variant, a new bug of some sort. And it seems to me that the global elite want to inject us every time someone snuffles now. Yeah, that's and nice. I trust my immune system. It hasn't let me down. I'm close to 60 years of age and it has never let me down. So I say, you know, I'll trust my immune system uh, instead of corporate people wanting to make profit. And if this is never going to stop and there's always going to be a bug and a flu and a virus and a variant, are we seriously thinking of locking ourselves down every time a bug, a variant or a flu comes along? Because if that's the plan, I'm not part of it. And I'm sure there's many more who's going to say, I'm not part of that either. I mean, at first I bought into it uh, in the sense that, you know, I've seen people just dropping dead in the street in Wuhan, just bodies keeling over. And then I realized that was a marketing nonsense that never happened. Yeah. And then uh, when you looked at all the figures and the death figures and everybody that died in Ireland, as everybody dies in the UK, every year there's a certain amount of people die. Uh, they were all being put down as COVID death. So when you look into all of that, you say to yourself, look, I've had enough of that nonsense, not buying into it. Um, the increase in deaths year on, year on has never changed. You know, it's always been a fairly steady number every, every year. And so therefore, if this never stops, I, I'm not one, I, I for one, I'm not going to give up living my life so I can preserve my life. I mean, what sort of life would I be preserving if I can't go out and enjoy my life and my children the same? So I think it did draw a line in the sand where people are saying, you know, if people will make choices. I don't need government to help me. Government can't stop me getting the flu. 
let's be honest about this. No. Government doesn't care about me. If government cared about me, it wouldn't be selling cigarettes and it wouldn't be trying to evict me out of my home and everybody else. Government doesn't give a shit about people. If it did, it would prevent people going to school hungry. It would go out and, and do something for the homeless. It would do something. And, and this is just uh, government being controlled by corporations so they can sell their nasty medical products for profit. And I, for one, am not going to be part of it. And, and I now realise that I'm not on my own in this uh, venture, that there's a whole load more of us than I actually thought was actually there. You know? So that's why, I suppose, a party atmosphere in Dublin, because people have been locked up for the best part of a year. They have fallen out with friends and family. It did divide, you know, as I said, mother against daughter and father against son and neighbour against neighbour and, and friends split up because of this nonsense. And, you know, they realise now that uh, we're not going to be part of it anymore. Ben Gilroy is our guest. Look, it's my job to be the devil's advocate where it's appropriate. What about sure. those? I was listening to Sky News UK most of the day. I'm here in Salford. And I did see a number of people, and they appeared to be genuine. People who yep. have got um, aplastic anemia and people who have got yep. other very serious illnesses. Now, I know this is something very close to your heart. You've had, you, yep. you've had this in your family. And, and, yep. and, they, and they will say, Richie, it's not much to ask now if there is a serious respiratory infection that's a bit worse than the flu that can be a killer it's not a bit it's not much to ask now for people to wear masks and to maybe keep their distance and maybe to work from home for a while if it keeps some of us alive a bit longer what do you say to that well look at uh, Richie there's always have been people on the planet with those diseases this is nothing new when my daughter had cancer and her immune system was shot I protected her by keeping her at home and giving her everything she needs because it wasn't safe for her to go out. But we can't turn that table around. I didn't expect everybody in Dublin or Navin to lock themselves away in their own home because I wanted to bring my daughter out to Little or to, to Tesco's. Um, that's, that's putting the cart before the donkey. Um, if people are ill... It, they and their family have a duty to protect them. It's them that needs to wear the proper masks, proper ventilation, keep their distance from people and come home quickly and not be in crowds. Crowds are for healthy people. You know, outdoors is for healthy people. If people are ill and they want to go to outdoors, by all means, go to a beach where there's no crowds on it. Go to the hills, go for a walk. Don't go into crowded supermarkets and crowded shopping areas. Unfortunately, life has dealt you a bad hand and you need to look after your health. The same as my daughter, life dealt her uh, um, a bad hand, but she struggled on. We did our piece and we got our better. But no way did we expect anyone not to, to live their life to the full because she couldn't. And, and just on that subject, when I was dropping her to school there before the school closed for summer, uh, I, she made a remarkable comment um, just out of the blue. She said to me, Daddy, she said, it, it's like the government don't want us to come out and fight this virus, but we're all to cower away and hide from it. And I thought to myself, right, that's coming from a young girl yeah. who's faced the hardship of cancer and going through chemo and all of that. And that's the attitude. I mean, we get people are sick. We're not... We're not um, unsympathetic to their illness. We're not un unsympathetic to their plight. And, you know, we, our heart goes out to them. But we must, we must um, live our lives to the full. And that can't be curtailed by anybody's illness. I mean, like, I know people who were 
uh, killed in car crashes. And I know other people that were seriously injured in car crashes. But that would be then to suggest that we should never have cars on the road again because look at the sympathy card. Here's a guy in a wheelchair from a crash. We have it. Life is beautiful. We've got to live it to the full. And life, you know, uh, every day people die. People are ill from different things. But, you know, it, as I say, when it comes to these illnesses, even the doctors uh, for my daughter, we had gel dispensers in our house. We were told masks were useless. And you know that's a good few years ago, Richie, and we yeah. were told masks are useless. But we had um, those dispensers in the house. And anybody coming to the house were asked to gel their hands. And if she was really ill, we asked nobody to call to the house. But we would not have brought her down to Tesco on one of our illness days or asked everybody to move aside and keep a distance because, you know, my daughter is ill and, you know, she needs to be uh, treated specially. We, life has to go on. The world has to go on the way it is. And that's just the way it is. And there's nothing we can do to change that. That's powerful. It is powerful. I'm not just saying that. When mm. has it has it been the same in Ireland as here? Here, they've turned this particular issue into right against left. If you say what you've said, Ben, well, you're an uncaring right wing lunatic who I'm all right, Jack. Sod you. Now that's not the case. I know that. And if you yep. say if you say yes, let's lock ourselves down and commit financial suicide just to protect granny, well then you are a virtuous worthy person, you're, you're a socialist or you're on the left they've, they've definitely tried to frame it like that Has it been the same they, back home? Yeah, they did try to do that up, up north when I suggested that you know, the, the deaths in Ireland were mostly people, you know, 80 and 80 plus in nursing homes that was just a fact and, and I said, look, they tried to make out that I was uncaring about their deaths I'm not, I wasn't like, even on my own mother's grave, I actually said, because when I was walking through the grave carrying her coffin, I noticed a number of children's graves who were killed on the road. And what I said was that my mother's death is not a tragedy in the sense we call a tragedy. It's a tragedy for our personal family because she's my mother. But she lived into her 80s and had 12 healthy children. And so from that point of view, that's a life to be celebrated, yeah. not, to be, uh, uh, not to, be, to say that there was no use of that life. But you couldn't say it was a tragedy in the sense when I say to you, it was a life to celebrate. But when you walk by six-year-olds and eight-year-olds killed on the road, there are genuine tragedies that I could never get over. But I get over to my parents' death because I simply know that if I have the life they had and I can die in my 80s with my family around me with no great tragedy, that's what an excellent life that is. So the point I was trying to make is that the deaths from suicide, from young people taking their own life because of the mental health issues of this lockdown and this nonsense and this constant fear porn on the mainstream media, it was taking more young lives than those older lives. And I tried to make the same comparison that to say I didn't care about these old people dying would be the same to say I didn't care about my mother dying. They, they missed the point on purpose. And it was quite clear what I was saying, that young people setting out on life who just started up a business and maybe just have one kid. And because the business was locked down and they built the bank, cut and bait them and took their own life, 
that is a real tragedy rather than an 84-year-old dying in a nursing home. Absolutely. But I'm certainly not saying we don't care about the 84-year-old dying in the nursing home. We're human beings, of course. They're somebody's mother, somebody's grandmother, you know, whatever it may be. And that is tragic, but it couldn't be as tragic as a young life being wasted because that's not a life well lived. Absolutely well said. Ben Gilroy is our guest. It's 20, look at how quick time it's going. It's 25 minutes to 7 o'clock. Ben, you talked about restaurateurs and, and, and cafe owners and shop owners. And you're right, yeah. you're right. It's the same here. Ultimately, you are 100% right. They need to kind of step up and say, no, we, we won't comply with this. We won't discriminate against people. We're going to welcome yeah. people back into our businesses. Now, the flip side of that is they've been hammered. They are yeah. financially, they're on the brink, aren't they? Many of them are looking into yeah. the abyss. So yeah. they're getting all this pressure from governments. Cowardly governments are passing yeah. the buck on to the businesses to enforce the guidelines that the governments are saying, well, we're, we're releasing the guidelines. We, 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 we yeah. leave it up to the businesses. So what, what do you think is likely to happen? Are you going to get through okay. people like you to these business owners and will they do the right thing? Well, look, you're right. Business owners need business because they're business owners. But they can't uh, automatically wipe off 50% of their customer base. It may be profitable short term, but trust me, long term, that is not profitable at all. And secondly, it's okay for the government to say, oh, discriminate against these people. Now, remember, President Higgins has not signed it into law as of yet, right? But if this comes into law, First of all, discrimination in Ireland is and was illegal, the same in the UK, on a number of grounds. And some silly people were saying to me, oh, sure, it's the same thing if uh, you were stopped coming into a nightclub with a pair of runners. Uh, No, it's not. And I'll tell you why it's not. Because under the Discrimination Acts in the UK and Ireland and the Equal Status Acts, it wasn't deemed as discrimination because you wore runners rather than shoes. But discrimination is on certain grounds, and uh, I'll, I'll name a few of them. So there was sexual preference. That's one you can't discriminate on. Uh, if you're a member of the traveling community, uh, race, yeah. uh, religion, um, and uh, physical disability, you know, you cannot discriminate on that. So in other words, you can't take someone in a wheelchair. So you're not coming into this restaurant because you're in a wheelchair. That's pure discrimination, and it's an illegal offence. Now, I know, Richie, there's a number of people who will not take the vaccine on grounds of religious beliefs. And therefore, if you ask a restaurateur to tell someone he's not coming into this restaurant because they haven't got a vaccine, which they can't get on religious grounds, you're discriminating on religious grounds. And now you're going to be sued. So I'm telling you now, restauranteurs that stop people for not being vaccinated will be sued left, right and centre. And this is undoubtedly, so this, this is undoubtedly going to be tested in the law, isn't it? It's obviously going to be tested, this, which course, is good. but the law is very clear, Richie. It's the same in the UK. You cannot discriminate no, I'm agreeing on, with you. Physical, Absolutely. Yeah, on, on a physical disability and religious grounds. And if I refuse to take a vaccine on religious grounds, if anybody discriminates me on those religious grounds, then I'm going to sue them. You're right, yeah. And whether it gets tested or not, it doesn't stop people suing you. And if you have 10 people suing you every night, your short window of opportunity that you thought for vaccinated people to let in, but I'll discriminate against everybody else, will become a very yeah. expensive window because you'll have 10 high court lawsuits then to deal with. You're in the and suit, that's basically. why this is unworkable and a complete mess 
that the Irish government are putting the ordinary hard-working people like hoteliers, like restauranteurs, who have a bad time, the same as us all. We've all had a bad time, but just in the spotlight at the minute, yeah. it's the restauranteurs. Now, the bill is written in such a way that the minister can extend those premises out to even your supermarkets, your shops. So this is just the fascist testing how far they can push the Irish people. And we have to say no on the very first hurdle because before you know it then, it'll be McDonald's, it'll be Supermax, it'll be your local Super Value and Tesco stores that you won't be allowed in unless you're vaccinated. And then where does it all stop? And that's where so it's meant to go. we have to say no at the very start because it's a slippery slope. Absolutely. Ben Gilroy is our guest. Yeah, what I meant by tested was if the bill comes in, which, which, which it might do, and I, I want to ask you about... Uh, President Higgins, just in a second. But if it did come in and became law, it would inevitably inevitably be tested almost instantaneously by somebody who, like you said, refused the jab on on religious grounds or, or other grounds. Ben Gilroy is our guest. Now you mentioned that President Michael D. Higgins hasn't yet signed uh, the bill. When is he due to do that, Ben? Does anybody know that? Well, he did sign one bill in today. So he was at his desk Uh, signing bills and I know that that bill is on his desk waiting to be signed so maybe because a couple of thousand people arrived at his door to leave him in no uncertain terms to say do not sign that bill he may be considering his options in relation to that and I'm calling on President Higgins to to bring the matter before the Supreme Court and check the constitutionality of it because not since the foundation of this state were you allowed to uh, discriminate on people? I know it was put into statute, but certainly in the old common law of Ireland, you could not discriminate against people on certain grounds. And, you know, it was good to see it in the statute books early on. But the point I'm going to make about this bill is not only does it allow discrimination, but you can be, it's a criminal offence not to discriminate. <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. so that is unheard of in Ireland. And that's the reality that nobody is saying, that it's actually a criminal offence if you do not discriminate against someone on religious grounds. That's ridiculous. Ben Gilroy is our guest, folks. You know, Ben, a champion of, um, of, of, of people, of hard-up people for many, many years post the manufactured crash of 2008. What was done to Irish people, Irish homeowners, um, unimaginable before that. And Ben was a great voice and still is a great voice um, for people fighting the banks. He's done a lot more besides. He stood as a political candidate and um, is very, very much involved in, this, uh, in, in the anti-lockdown anti-mandatory vaccination movement in Ireland and was in uh, uh, Dublin on, on Wednesday last. Uh, it was brilliant what happened that you got such a massive crowd together in such a short space yeah. of time. You, um, I mentioned to, to, uh, to Niall McAvoy in the first hour because obviously Niall has children, you have children as well. Yep. How, how motivating a factor are your children? in this fight particularly? Well, huge, because look, at my children are young enough, and I keep saying, if they were to be forced vaccinated in school, first of all, nobody's entitled to stick anything in any of my children without my consent. And to stab them with a knife, a penis, or a hypodermic needle makes no difference. It's a violation of the integrity of bodily integrity. So, so that's a violation. And if government thinks that they have the right to do that, I want to know where they got the right from. Because all powers come from the people. And I don't have such right to stick anything in a neighbour's child without the consent of the parent. And even with the consent of the parent, 
I don't have the right to start sticking needles or anything like that in those children. So, so I'm just asking, where does government believe it gets those rights if all rights come from, from uh, the people of Ireland? Because we don't have the right to do it. Um, and secondly, can I just give a plug? Um, uh, because everybody was concerned about their children. And I do know that Mason Hayes and Curran, the solicitor's firm here, have been doing workshop seminars with the HSE, which is the Health uh, Authorisation Body here in Ireland, uh, to put pressure on the school governors and the school boards when children return for mandatory vaccine. Now, they're not calling it mandatory, but what they're basically saying is that you put pressure on the school board to say your child won't be allowed in school uh, if they're not vaccinated. That, to me, is coercion with threats and menace because, you know, you're thinking, well, if my child doesn't get educated, it won't get on in life. So you're threatening me and you're coercing me. And that's, again, a criminal offence, both in the UK and in Ireland. And this all seems to be underhanded trickery, but they're not really showing people that um, that this is uh, uh, these are actually criminal offences. So so with that in mind, Richie, you know, it's a very slippy slope they're going on. But Mason Hayes and Curran has promised the HSE that if there's any kickback from pressurising these school boards, that they will represent them in the courts as well. Now, Mason Hayes and Curran would be one of the solicitors' firms who would have come in for rogue banks uh, robbing uh, properties off people when they knew the banks didn't even hold the mortgage. And I've invited, if that's not a true statement, I've invited Mason Hayes and Curran to sue me for defamation on that, and they've never taken up that gauntlet. And it's not like they wouldn't know how to sue someone. So I'm saying that again, that Mason Hayes and Curran, through receivers and through their representation of bankers in the courts, have always misled the courts about the true identity of owners of those mortgages. So here you have the same corrupt Mason Hayes and Curran uh, telling the HSE, we will represent your people in court uh, through our secret uh, Masonic friends in the judiciary and we'll get what we want. And that's why there has several changes have to be made in Ireland before we can make it good again. And there's 14 initiatives that we put up on, on our website to show that this is what we need to be done here in Ireland. Now, I don't know anything about Mason, Hayes and Curran. You've obviously got your opinion on them. <laughs> no, no, but they're not here. Nobody from that organisation is here to defend um, that yeah. organisation. So I don't know no, anything we, about they've them. They've been invited to defend on several occasions. So I'm not talking behind their back. I've done it on, on Irish Airways as well. Uh, but they're basically like the top, they're in the top five or six top legal firms in Ireland. I'll drop them a message. It'd be interesting to see if I get any response from them. Yeah, um, would they like to respond? Yeah, yeah would they like? I, I, I'm sure the radio stations you've appeared on before have invited them to yeah. respond. Um, but I will do that due diligence. Of course, I'll give them a. Yeah, of course. I'll give them a shout. Absolutely. Um, are you optimistic? I, I, I'm at the moment. I'm not. Now, before you come in, and I'm going to give you the final word. I, I'm not because I've observed over my time in the media. I've been in the media since 1998. And yep. I've observed a creeping infantilization of society. And I've, I've remarked on this years ago. How people, yep. how, how people who surround us, our, sometimes our friends, sometimes our neighbours, um, increasingly helpless, becoming helpless over the years, mm. a tendency towards helplessness and not being able to do for themselves and becoming reliant on the state, on the government, on their employer, on their bank, on anything. 
And I look around yeah. at people today, 29 degrees here in Salford. I know it's boiling. Scorch you back home in Ireland as well. Yeah. They're going yeah. around on bikes with masks on. They're walking with masks yeah. on. They're buying it. So at the moment, I'm tending towards just being a bit fed up. You sound more optimistic than me, are you? <laughs> Uh, look, because I, I'm probably on the long road, as they say, uh, I tried to set up direct democracy in Ireland. Yeah. We got it really to a very good place where we ran 24 candidates in the election and we got political broadcasts out on RTE. But unfortunately, the mass, vast majority of Ireland didn't realise the importance of that. I'm just hoping because, you know, and it's always... It always gets attacked by little snides on the internet. Oh, you're doing it wrong. Oh, you're, you're, you're a fake. You're a fraud. You're a plant. You're with MI5. You're with MI6. You're Goldman Sachs is backing you. You know, all this. But these are government paid trolls. And I recognize them now and I block them straight away. And they're always telling you you're doing it wrong. You know, this is gas. You know, people telling me I'm doing it wrong. Well, lead the way. And when you attract a bigger crowd in Dublin, then we'll follow you. But until you do that, Shut up bitching and do it yourself because this is what brings down movements of these people on the internet uh, backbiting and backbitching and yet won't leave their keyboard because they're afraid to walk outside the door in yeah. case the bad virus will get them. Yeah. So yes, I, I'm upbeat because the last time, Richie, I called for people to come to the doll to object to the, uh, the bailout bill where we were to bail out gamblers on a stock exchange for 64 billion, yeah, which yeah. would have, you know, ruined this country. When I called for people to come out, 10 people showed up, Bridgie. 10 showed now, up. Now, that too was at night time, but 10 people showed up. Thousands and on Wednesday. I, I would have called for it over a number of days. Yeah. Uh, this one I called for 11 o'clock at night to come to the DAW, and I did it the night before, and maybe five, six, seven thousand people showed up. It was yeah. hard to, to count. Uh, so, so that has certainly um, garnered a bit of... Uh, comeback spirit in me, if you like. Brilliant. And furthermore, there is World Freedom Day this Saturday, and this has taken place in a number of cities all over Europe. And Dublin's event has been run by the Yellow Vests here in Ireland. And that's taken place at the Mansion House at 2 o'clock uh, this Saturday, the 24th. And again, you know, I'm asking people to show, their, to show unity in that and to, to come and support. And look, nothing has to happen. Just by being there. Now, remember, the World Health Organization has brought out this document where it says if your child is in school on vaccination day, they will treat that as consent. That's right. So I'm just warning people to make sure that you write letters and make sure you get an acknowledgement that your child in school does not represent consent for your child. And so I'm saying to people who come to these rallies, just by standing there, remember that you, you are saying... I don't consent. You may come and listen to a few words by Ben Gilroy. You know, you may listen to other speakers. All of that is sort of irrelevant. You are standing and your voice is being heard, even though you're saying nothing. Your voice is being heard by standing shoulder to shoulder with other people. And the main message is we do not consent to any of that. Brilliant. Let me ask you this before... Actually, I did say Mansion House there. It's the Customs House at 2 o'clock in Dublin. Customs House at 2 on Saturday. <laughs> I don't Saturday. want everybody going to the wrong I know. place yet. Customs, so Customs House, House at two. 2 o'clock Saturday. I've got a very good memory and I'm going to expose myself now by saying that. Um, yeah. Because like you, I, I do care. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to take a guess now. It's been over a year since we spoke, which is ridiculous, but yeah. you'll come back sooner. Yeah. Is your daughter's name Saoirse? 
No. Isabella. Isabella. Why do I think yeah, Saoirse? Yeah, yeah. Freedom, I think my Saoirse. Wife, my wife is um, Saoirse Sinead, which is Sarah Jane. But, but, I, but, but I'm not going to grab onto that lifeline now because I didn't know <laughs> no, that. that. No, no, Isabella. no. Isabella. How is she now these, all these years later? How's She's she fantastic. Up? She's a fine, big, healthy uh, 13-year-old girl who gives cheek. And when people come up and say to her, do you know how great your daddy is? She goes, eh, he's all right. You know, <laughs> so you know one of those, right? <laughs> That's what you're dealing with now. These are, are the fun years. Her. Your daddy's a great man. Eh, he's okay. He's you know, <laughs> That'll keep you grounded anyway. No, but uh, yeah. the reason, the reason, obviously asking about Isabella, you, you mentioned her earlier on. I mean, I obviously remembered her and what you went yeah. through because it was touch and go that, you know, it was a very desperate time yeah, no, for you, wasn't it? She was very ill. She was very, very ill. Yeah, I had visions of carrying white coffin and all, you know, these yeah. breakdowns you have at night time and you have these panic attacks and everything. I went through all of that. My heart goes out to uh, all those people still on those. We met many friends in those hospital wards who weren't as lucky as I am. So, you know, and, and I always say to people, if you think something's wrong in your life or you, you're feeling down, go into St. John's Ward in Crumlin and just have a walk around because it's the greatest spiritual lift you'll ever get. You'll come out and say, you know, my life's not that bad. Yeah, brilliant, Ben. Listen, it was, it, was, it, was, it was at the beginning of this last year, last time we spoke, you're a busy bloke. Don't um, yeah. wait to be invited back. You have my uh, mobile phone number. There's always something going on, so just give me a text and I'll yeah. get you on no at any time. I love you for being who you are, mate, and uh, I'm not too proud of Ireland, to be honest, but I'm proud of a lot of Irish people at the moment, and you're one of them, so well Yeah, done. yeah they, they've restored my, my, my faith in the Irish people that we will stand up. Um, and we'll we'll get to see this Saturday now just how many. And look, it's it's, it's going to be great. And people who can't uh, come to Dublin, uh, there's another guy, Dermot O'Cahula in Cork and that, who organises these things as well. And if he doesn't want to come to Dublin, he wants to do his own in Cork or wherever, you know, all, by all means, do this. If it's even only 10 people in a local village square standing saying we don't consent, you know, it, it, this is a worldwide movement. We need to link hands virtually and through the internet and spiritually and physically and hold hands and never mind social distancing and send a message to the world powers. We don't believe you're bullshit. You know, there's always going to be flus. There's always going to be viruses. And we are not going to stop living our lives so we can uh, just have a life. I prefer to lose my life and live it, uh, you know, and, and that's the way it should be. Brilliant, Ben. Best to Isabella and to Saoirse Sinead and to all your family and friends. Good luck over the weekend and Godspeed with everything else. Cheers, Ben. Thanks, Richie. Appreciate and Appreciate the work you do too, highlighting all the, the wrongs in society. We'll get there in the end. Cheers, <laughs> mate. Cheers, we will indeed. God bless. Ben Gilroy, live on the line. I'm not sure if Ben is in Navin or is in uh, Dublin. I think he's in Dublin uh, this afternoon. Um, let me just do a quick uh, time check there. Yes, yeah, six and a half minutes to the top of the hour, or seven o'clock as it is here in Salford. I, I, I almost fear walking outside the studio. It's so bloody warm and it's so cold and so chilled in here. Thanks uh, to you for your tweets, by the way, during my conversations with Ben, but also uh, with Niall McAvoy earlier on. A lot of tweets there. If you want to engage with people during the programme, it's very simple. When you're on Twitter, if you look at the top of your page, you will see that little search Twitter area. If you type in BBG Richie, all one word, no spaces, BBG Richie, and press enter, you will get a list of all the tweets that have been sent to me today. 
but during the last couple of hours. So if you want to engage with people and chat with them and argue with them or, you know, gently argue with them or disagree with them or, or agree with them, it's BBG Richie, all one word, on Twitter. All right. As usual, there are things booked in for, for the week, but I don't know. But can I do this? Don't panic now. I do this every year because you have... When you do a programme like this, as long as I've done this, you do get some super listeners. Not fans, because I don't have fans. Right? You'd have to be crazy uh, to be a fan of somebody like me. Uh, super listeners. People who listen religiously and get very attached to the programme. So I have a few of them. And I like them. They're, they're good crack. They don't let me away with anything. But I have a few super listeners. They're, they're always online listening. They're always tweeting me. So I'm going to tell you that I will, in three weeks' time, I'll be taking my summer holiday. So I'm doing this week and the following week and the week after that. But I will finish on Thursday, August 5th, right? You with me? And I'll be away for two weeks. I'll finish on Thursday, August 5th, and I will return on August 23rd, on Monday, okay? So it's basically two full weeks and a couple of extra days over the weekends. So write it down now. The show finishes for its summer holidays on Thursday, August 5th, to return on Monday, August 23rd. Yeah. All right, good. I'll mention it again, if not later this week, early next week. But I've given you a heads up anyway. Three more weeks, three full weeks to go, and then I'll be I'll, I'll be on me halls. Not that I'll be going anywhere, <laughs> because we're not jabbed. There are a lot of people who don't like me because I have a big mouth. I don't mind. I've got very very thick skin. I like it. I like the slings and arrows. I, I'm not easily offended. There are some people who don't like me for various reasons. They see the world differently than I than I do, which is fine. Uh, jealousy is a big thing. Uh, I've been around a long time. I've got a, a healthy listenership. There's a bit of jealousy. but um, So they give me dog's abuse sometimes. One of the things they abuse me about is... Uh, do I have time to get into this? No, I don't. It doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> it doesn't matter anyway. Anywho. All right, there you go. Rightio. And phone-ins. You've been on to me today about phone Oh, we love the phone-ins, Richie. It's brilliant. It always is. It is brilliant. And I am mindful to do more of them because uh, I like them as well. And it gives me a break. And it's, uh, it's almost like a day off. Almost. Almost. Because I still have to write articles. I still have to write a monologue. That takes quite a bit of time. But when you take over, it's good fun. I don't think we ever had a dull phone-in. We get some fantastic calls and I'm not patronising you with amazing insights, very well thought out, very cogent arguments. So I, I'd like to do more as well. And I think in the near future, I think we should have one a fortnight. We should have two a month at least, not one. Because at the moment, it's kind of like one a month. We should have two a month. And I'm happy to do that. Right. Taking my leave of you. Thank you so much to Niall McAvoy. Great guy. 13 years Ice Hockey International with Ireland. Loved to have him on. It was great having him on. And thanks again to Ben Gilroy, who's a great, great bloke, whose heart has got a heart of gold and is um, full to the brim with doing good for people and doing right by people. Uh, the Mansion House, 2 o'clock this Saturday in Dublin. I'm leaving you with uh, the Rolling Stones. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for spending two hours with me, or some of the last two hours with me. Until tomorrow, Tuesday at 5 o'clock, from the BBG, it's a uh, boy. Bye now.